Good day, everyone, and welcome to the next episode of the Future Farmers Network's Mentor of the Month podcast. The Mentor of the Month podcast is an opportunity for us to speak candidly to individuals who are passionate about agriculture for the purpose of not only learning about their career to date, but importantly, to gain some valuable insights from those whom, even at a young age, are leaders and mentors within the agricultural industry. Hello, and thank you for joining us on today's podcast. I'm Future Farmers Network Director Lauren Rolgan, and today I'm joined by Jamie Painter. Jamie is a little different to our usual guests. She didn't grow up on a farm and she didn't study ag, nor does she now work in a traditional agricultural role or own a pair of RM Williams boots. She's an engineer by training and spent two years at a top tier management consulting firm before venturing into the world of agriculture, first in Africa and then back on Aussie soil. She now works in strategy at Lone Bio, a fast-growing Australian-based ag tech company, harnessing the powers of soil microbes to increase carbon sequestration in soils. As one of ag's newest recruits, and having taken a path less trodden, but one that I think is becoming more and more the norm, while it's still somewhat fresh, I thought I'd ask her a little about how she got here and why she chose ag to be where she makes her next mark. She's also a woman I'm privileged to call a friend, and I hope you feel as uplifted after this chat as I always do whenever I hear what she's been up to. Jamie, thank you so much for joining me today. Hey, Lauren, thanks. <laughs> so I've had the pleasure of knowing you for, I think, a bit over 10 years now, but perhaps for the benefit of our listeners and to set the scene, would you like to give a little bit of background on the life of Jamie Painter to date? <laughs> sure. Thanks, Lauren. Uh, so I, I was raised in South Africa and came to Australia when I was 13. Um, I ended up finishing high school in Toowoomba, which is where Lauren and I came across each other, so in, in regional Queensland. Um, after school, uh, took a gap year, uh, went to England, did the whole boarding school thing for a year um, before going down to Sydney to study a Bachelor of Civil Engineering and Architecture. Um, what really interested me about that combo was the bringing together of the arts and the sciences um, to look at kind of the impact of the built environment and how humans influence their surroundings. Um, however, quickly discovered that architecture was not my calling um, and so changed degrees to major in uh, humanitarian engineering, which is a, a subset of civil engineering at the University of Sydney that explores the nexus of disaster response and recovery uh, with indigenous and community development. I was fortunate enough to travel to Samoa and India with Engineers Without Borders as a student um, and then a tutor of human-centered design methodologies, looking at kind of the local civil engineering context. So structures, water, food production, waste, those kinds of things. Um, so following uni, I uh, did a bit of a switch and decided that I'd try my hand at management consulting. So I ended up at McKinsey for a couple of years. So McKinsey's a, a large yeah, management consulting firm, basically doctors for business. And so you go in um, and you, you help kind of, it's problem solving on demand uh, and yeah, help synthesize kind of complex ideas down and work with teams of people to implement different solutions. Um, this is this is becoming a long-winded story, but <laughs> bear with me. <laughs> no, no, um, we, we love a long-winded, uh, you've done a lot of interesting <laughs> things, so no, please, by all means, keep going. I love hearing yeah. about all of it. Um, so following McKinsey, uh, ended up in a, a social enterprise 
for a couple uh, months in Ethiopia and then eventually made my way to Learn Bio, which is where I currently am. Interesting. So taking sort of one step back to um, your 2012 self in high school, is this where you ever would have pictured yourself or, you know, what, what did you think you'd be doing at that point in time if you even have an answer to that question? Yeah, so uh, my parents are actually moving house at the moment um, and downsizing. So I came across a bunch of my year 12 school things and found an exercise we all had to do which was writing our future CV, which is a pretty, it's, a, it's an interesting thing to then look back on. And my, my future CV that I wrote in year 12 was actually all about water and water engineering and looking at water security. Um, so although this is absolutely not where I thought I'd end up, it is tangentially related back along those themes of kind of human impact on the environment, um, of which agriculture is, it's humanity's largest environmental intervention. Absolutely. That's um, really interesting that you came across your old future CV, I suppose. Um, that would have been quite an interesting exercise at the time and even more interesting now to look back on, I imagine. Um, so tell me more about sort of, I suppose, the experience in Ethiopia and how you sort of took the step from, you know, quite, um, I'm not going to say fast paced because I'm sure the experience in Ethiopia was equally as fast paced, but, you know, sort of the, sort of the corporate life, you know, in based in cities, working in lots of different industries, I imagine. Um, what sort of triggered that decision to move from McKinsey to something completely left of field in comparison? So, we're in the midst of Sydney lockdown when I was trying to work out what's next for me. And what's next was trying to get as far away as possible from Sydney <laughs> as I could, which happened to be Ethiopia. Um, and so there, there was a link in that um, there are a bunch of ex McKinsey people who had been in Ethiopia setting up their, setting up the country's national agricultural transformation agency. And they had realized that smallholder farmers were being left out of the picture um, and weren't being kind of adequately uh, serviced by the kind of the national infrastructure. And so they set up this social enterprise called Perennial Foods Group to address some of those challenges and, and actually just tap into the opportunity that smallholder farmers um, can give towards realizing a country's food security. And so PFG was awesome. So the first couple of months were remote until in October 2021, I was able to uh, get a get an exemption from the Australian government to leave the country and to make my way over to Ethiopia. So I was based in Addis Ababa, the capital, with a team uh, of people who've been working in, in East Africa and, and Addis for the last, I think, five to ten years originally mostly Americans and, and British uh, people, but a lot of locals as well. And so I was brought on as the strategy associate and business development kind of associate in that role. And so I was helping the, uh, the enterprise raise their next fundraising round. So basically working out what our future funding requirements were to be able to have the impact that we wanted to have. Great. Um, so I suppose 
for those of us who might not be as familiar, um, obviously the, I suppose the ag scene in Africa is vastly different to Australia. And I think, you know, in Australia, we often take for granted, you know, the fact that we have so much food on our shelves that is locally grown. And a lot of it comes from, you know, big commercial or at least medium to large sized um, family farms. What is the agricultural space like in Ethiopia? And when you say smallholder farmers, how big are you talking and, you know, what, what sort of operations are they in comparison? Yeah, so it's, it's a great question. And I can obviously only talk to a small slice of <laughs> the answer to that. Um, the farmers that we worked with farmed on average half, less than half a hectare of land. So we're talking kind of just above subsistence farming kind of practices. So the interesting thing about small farms is that they produce over 70% of the world's food. Um, and so it's a huge amount that they play in kind of realizing global um, food security. But yet when we think about the food that's on our shelves in supermarkets, it's, it's often kind of large scale intensive agricultural um, operations that get there. So what we did at Perennial Foods Group is we partnered with small farms uh, to work, basically to provide them with the supply chain to be able to tap into international high margin organic foods so that they could then realize that price differential. And so uh, one of the issues with trying to get uh, smallholder farmers organically certified is there's a period of of time if you have been farming in the in the in the past where you have to let your land kind of it has you you experience a yield drop for a couple of years um but you're not able to access the organic premiums yet and so what pfg did was guaranteed a, a purchase price provided the inputs provided the whole supply chain services which included um cold chain which again is another big big issue um in many parts of Africa to yeah, then be able to access those higher value markets, um, which are often overseas. And so PFG actually took it one step further um, and were aiming for beyond organic, which they, they called regenerative agriculture here. And so Regen Ag, as I'm sure many of your listeners have come across before, it's it's actually, there's, there's no one single definition for, for what it is. And so in the context of, of PFG, it encompassed a, a, a selection of growing practices, including minimal tillage, uh, using organic inputs, planting a, a kind of food forest of perennials and annuals and herbs, um, so polycultures, as well as integrating a lot of composting. So somewhat this year's crop becomes next year's uh, fertilizer in, in a way. And so the whole focus was on, on soil health with, with this company. Wow, that's, um, that's super interesting. And you obviously took a lot in and learned a lot about it. In how, So how long were you involved with Perennial Foods Group for in total in the end? Yeah, so I, I was there just under a year. Just under um, a year. Yeah, so unfortunately, this period of time was also when 
political instability in the region really peaked and there was a national state of emergency declared whilst I was over in Ethiopia. So the team had to, I guess, evacuate to Kenya, to Nairobi. So um, a, a lot of the farmers though had to stay there, um, which was a real issue because a lot of the crops then we couldn't get out. Um, the airports were locked down, roads were blocked because of um, yeah road closures. And there's still a lot of instability in the region, um, which just <laughs> as complicated as ag is, you add in these other layers of geopolitical kind of and conflict uh, and it, it gets a whole lot more complicated again. Yeah, certainly. And again, something we take for granted in Australia, I think, is, you know, not having to worry about those things on the day to day really absolutely yeah. changes how much or how quickly an industry can progress as well, you know, when when you're not sure what the what the government's going to be doing and it, you know where's safe and what are the rules where um and can your team even be based there next week uh that's, absolutely that's super interesting <laughs> i mean there were some there were some awesome kind of ideas and solutions to the challenges that come out of it um one of the organizations that we worked with um at pfg was called inspira farms and they do modular cold storage for kind of the developing world, I guess. Um, and so using uh, shipping containers that they converted then into cold storage mechanisms for on-farm ways of making sure that your produce can kind of last longer until your supply chain, uh, basically until you build up enough uh, produce to be able to then kind of go down the distribution chain in a cost-efficient manner. Um, so uh, and then, you know, the flip side of that is, okay, so then how do we make sure we have energy to actually power these cold chain solutions as well? How do we make sure that the roads are in a good enough state to be able to get everything to the airport and then out or to the market and then eventually to, to consumers? Yeah, the world really is one massive cog and you need everything to be working or all the all the little cogs to be working for the big one to work at the end of the day it um yeah yeah and I mean we yeah. saw this in Australia with the recent floods up in northern New South Wales um and even at the moment just looking at for example lettuce prices um yeah. we wouldn't think that that would make such a big impact on kind of social media um but yeah for a lot of farmers this is this is something that kind of happens quite regularly and with increasing frequency now as well um and and consumers are starting to to wake up to the idea that um actually having the full selection of fruit and veg is is very much a a privilege not a not a right absolutely so hearing about all the things you've been involved in i think it's safe to say you've always been drawn to experiences or sort of fields where you could contribute to you know a bigger picture problem that needed solving um and then I suppose your time was cut short with perennial food group um is that sort of what triggered the change to loam bio what attracted you to that or was it sort of right place right time right introduction talk me through that yeah so I think it was a combination of a couple of things so timing for sure uh I was also keen to come back to Australia um, and do something in this country, which has provided so many opportunities for me as well, that I, I, I 
love to just get involved more and give back. So whilst I was um, finishing up at PFG, I ended up following a bunch of different companies on LinkedIn, um, companies all in the ag tech and innovation space in Australia. Um, would highly recommend if, if you are looking for a career change to just follow a bunch of companies and influencers on LinkedIn. The stuff that comes up is really interesting. And uh, Lone Bio had recently, they, they were previously called Soil um, Sequest um, and then Soil Carbon Co. And they had recently raised their Series A and announced a name change. And I saw all of this on LinkedIn um, and then saw that kind of out of the blue, they had a, a strategy position going. And so I just called applied to it um, and just thought, you know what, let's let's give it a crack. And got on really well with, with Tegan and Guy, who are the, the CPO and CEO, CEO. And yeah, the rest was history. Fantastic. And so how's the transition been? Um, you know, have, have you gotten, I suppose you were working in ag beforehand, but have you gotten any funny responses to, you know, the move from McKinsey to an ag startup, which I suppose it's, it's beyond just ag, what you're, what you're doing, I suppose, um, as I think you've put it previously, you know, it's sort of the convergence of um, sort of carbon and biotechnology and agriculture all in one. Um, so I, I think calling it an ag startup is almost um, not doing it justice, but have you had any funny responses to telling people that that's what you're doing now? <laughs> yeah, it's it's layers and layers upon funny responses. It's like ag and then biotech and then ag tech and then carbon. Um, you layer these all together and they become a really interesting uh, collection of, of themes that I think ultimately all lead to kind of global impact and impact in timeframes that matter in terms of addressing the climate crisis. Uh, so to give you a bit of background on Loam Bio, so Loam is an Australian biotech company um, that has developed a microbial technology that supercharges a plant's natural ability to store carbon in the soil. And so a farmer coats their seeds with the inoculum. And once the crop is sown, the microbes and the plant work together to securely store carbon in the soil. And so it's a really interesting combination of agronomy, of kind of science and uh, microbiology, with then the more commercial side of carbon markets and um, climate impact that creates a yeah a pretty compelling draw for anyone who's interested in in doing things uh, that can lead to kind of global impact. Absolutely, and I think you know one of the things with agriculture is always if you look at it, um, you know particularly in Australia, our land mass, you know where people live is a tiny area, but then you have people managing land that covers you know. 95% if not more of the continent and then if you can sort of multiply out you know technology on that scale all of a sudden you're having a huge huge impact um, not just for Australia nationally but the globe so no definitely super interesting again mm -hmm. um, could you run us through and I'm sure there isn't one typical day but what a day in your current role 
looks like because I am conscious that you're very close to the beach and it's probably not what most people would think you can do in agriculture. So I think it'd be super cool to hear, you know, what you do day to day. Yeah, so uh, for context, Loam's Sydney office is located in the beautiful Manly. We're in, uh, I think it is a kind of decommissioned school that is going to be knocked down eventually, but for the time being is the home to a bunch of different startups doing all sorts of crazy things. And so, yeah, definitely the, the beach is a great draw card um, and not something you'd associate uh, typically with agriculture. Our headquarters in Australia is in orange. Um, so from the office, you can see uh, loads of cows and all sorts of more typical things, um, but it's still, it's a high-tech lab. Um, so it's it's an interesting combination of a, a couple of things. Um, so typical day for me, I guess there's no typical day. There's there's a huge amount of variety and that comes with being in a startup that's, that's growing so quickly. And so... I I focus on a couple of different things. Um, and I'd say that the two main areas are helping our leadership team be as effective as possible. And then the second area being your more kind of clear strategy kind of things. So on helping our leadership team be as effective as possible, this involves switching between the macro, so ensuring we're focusing on the right things, not just the urgent things that come up when being in a startup, um, which also means occasionally asking the big questions and making sure we're using our time and resources in the most efficient way possible. Uh, as well as, yeah, switching then to the, the micro. So trying to figure out how I can take things off people's plates, how we can delegate it to other people. Uh, so running kind of my own little mini projects on the side. So second focus area is on the strategy side of things. And that's, yeah, much more classic strategy. So running our geographic expansion plans, looking at a bunch of our commercial partnerships and how we might develop really unique value propositions with these, with these partners. So that's, that's more on the focus side. The kind of day-to-day -day varies hugely. Our team is spread across um, Australia, the US and Canada. So that peaks and troughs according to who's online when. Um, but some examples could be, you know, running workshops with these partners around, okay, either upstream or downstream within the agricultural supply chain. How can we partner with them? Um, what's the best way to ultimately solve serve our growers in a way that is meaningful and done so in a farmer first way. It could be running a problem solving session with our bioproduction team, looking at how we can uh, reduce our costs of manufacturing our products, as well as increasing the, I don't know, final stability of those products. Um, and then mainly a lot of, th there is quite a bit of organizational design work as well. So helping people articulate their roles and the direction they want to take those roles. So quite a bit of upwards and downwards kind of mentoring, I guess you could call it. That sounds great. Um, so sort of thinking about, I suppose, your career to date, um, appreciating that you're still fairly early stage in the scheme of things, what 
advice would you have to someone who maybe like you, you know, has sort of a lot of areas of interests and sort of has maybe a broad theme, maybe not even a broad theme um, and don't know where to start or what the next step would be to take? Yeah, so your first step is to identify whether doing something that speaks to your bigger purpose is important or not for you. And so for some people, being in a really good team doing interesting work is is kind of the most important thing. For others, it's making sure that it's absolutely thematically aligned with where they feel their purpose is. And I'm <laughs> I, I'm in the latter, but that is not to say that the team is not awesome at, at Loam. Um, so for me, it was working out, okay, looking back at the decisions I've made, what's the, the underlying kind of high-level rationale for what attracted me to engineering, what attracted me to McKinsey and, and now, like, why, why am I here? And for me, it was really about how can I use the limited amount of time I have to have the most amount of impact in a in a meaningful way? And so for me, themes of kind of social justice, of environmental justice um, are, are very strong. Um, and yeah, I think the environmental challenges posed by agriculture are huge and they'll only become more pressing as we as the population of the globe explodes and we have this growing need for food worldwide so yeah i guess that's a kind of it's not going to be your three-step plan to how to find your purpose in life but i think yeah first step is just to work out like what really motivates you um and is it is it kind of the more situational aspects of a, of a job or is it the kind of the broader why anyone who knows you would absolutely agree with the sentiment that you are a very values aligned person and it sounds like you're in the perfect role f to be able to do exactly that now as well as have a good team at Lone Bio around you to foster all of that positive energy um so as someone new to agriculture and you know in your previous role sort of you were a business doctor as you said and sort of get got quite a high level view of lots of different industries and you know things they probably were doing well and things they weren't doing well naturally given you were there to fix problems um looking at Australian ag I suppose breaking this down into sort of two buckets what's one thing where you think the greatest opportunities lie within Australian agriculture and then sort of branching out from that for a young person thinking about how they might forge their own career in Australian agriculture where do you think the greatest opportunities lie for them personally? In in Australia, ag is ag is core to our history and to well, I guess to to Western kind of colonial history. Um, <laughs> there's some very interesting books on this, a la Bruce Pascoe, Dark Emu, but that's that's for another conversation. Um, in terms of opportunities for for young people. Ag offers a bit of everything um, across, you look at the technical, the social, the financial problems that Australia faces as, a, as an economy and agriculture is woven into a lot of those. As a young person wanting to have an impact in Australia, ag is very much um, 
an excellent platform to do so, uh, particularly when you look at the combination of the, the scale of operations here is kind of up there with the biggest in the world. And you look at some of the cutting edge tech that's come out of Australia in the ag space, again, um, it's best in the world. Australian agriculture also has been at the, the forefront of having to deal with the issues of, of climate change and the challenges that have come with extremes of, of weather conditions and droughts and floods. And that's that's becoming more and more evident elsewhere. Australian farmers have been dealing with this kind of thing for for decades. Um, what's interesting on the if you look at the soil health side of things, the prevalence of no-till agriculture or, or low-till agriculture in Australia is it's got one of the highest uptakes in the world. Um, when you look at broadacre kind of conventional cropping systems. Um, what that means for young people, I guess, is not not entirely linked, as this is this is me just vibing off this question a little bit. But uh, I think that the key takeaway here is that um, Aussie ag, Aussie ag tech, is a huge amount of opportunity for just about everyone in, like, just regardless of what what kind of background you have, there's a, there's a way to get involved and have an impact. I think one of the things. The Australian agricultural industry could do better is is kind of attracting those those less traditional pathways and advert well kind of communicating those less traditional pathways into into ag which is I guess kind of what <laughs> Future Farmers Network hopes to achieve. <laughs> Low key plug. Listen to the podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Jamie. I'll pay you later for that comment. Uh, <laughs> and no, likewise, it's people like yourself. Um, you know, sort of shouting the word out to others who might not be aware of it. Um, and telling your story so candidly that you know will hopefully bit by bit help get the word out there. Um, and I know that that's something that a lot of different players within the industry are looking at is you know how to get more people involved. Um. So One what? suggestion would be a uh, a a bit of a dictionary for all the kind of sayings that we have in agriculture. I've started making a kind of rough sketch, but the number of times I have no idea what people are talking about because it's such an extended metaphor. <laughs> Both what? a pro and a con of coming into the industry. What's your favorite bin to date? Oh, oh, putting me on the spot now. Um anything talking about a back paddock just like I'm not entirely sure whether the back paddock is a good thing or not but like depending if you're putting things there or doing things there it's yeah yeah there's a lot of different paddocks there's top paddock back paddock bottom paddock you just yeah you, you eventually figure out within the context what they're talking about generally sometimes I still get it wrong too so there we go in there suggestion for a blog article <laughs> The Definitive Guide to Australian Agriculture in Slang. Yes. I love it. I love it. Um, so sort of just quickly on the ag tech space, do you know of any ways that people who want to get more involved in ag tech or finding pathways within it could do so? Are there any groups? Are there LinkedIn pages that you might have followed that you would suggest to others? Yeah. So um, Climate Tech VC actually does a really good newsletter and a summary of things in the kind of climate tech space. Um, ag is a subset of that. 
there's a, a great newsletter called Upstream Ag Insights that I subscribe to that has such interesting analysis week on week about all the latest happenings in, in the kind of world of ag and ag tech and big ag as well, which I have been trying to call big pharma with an F, but people kind of roll their eyes whenever I talk about big pharma. Um, yeah, other ways to do it. Like startups, especially in the ag tech space in Australia, are, we, we need more people. Like we're scaling enormously. It's an awesome platform going from an Australian company in ag to then going to the States, to um, Europe, to all over the place. And so there are so many job openings. If you just like have a look on LinkedIn anywhere, um, you'll see there's yeah a lot of opportunity. Great, thank you. I'm sure that will come in handy for a few of our listeners. Um, so I think that's been a really interesting conversation. Thank you again, Jamie. What you've done today, if that's any indication of what you've got left, you know, in your career, given you're only a few years in, um, I'm so, so excited to see where you go and where this all takes you. Um, I'm going to mildly dob you in. And when we did catch up semi-recently in Sydney, you did say you think you, this might be it for you in terms of, you know, which industry you'll work in. So I will be holding you to that because I don't think we want to lose someone like you from agriculture. Um, but Thank you very much again. We really look forward to following your journey and wherever else it might take you. Thanks so much, Lauren. It's been a pleasure.